Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. My two favorite holidays of the year are Easter, that's number one, and Christmas, number two. Uh, Because in both of these holidays, we remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And um, I tell you what, this is not just an exercise in history for me. Uh, A number of years ago, uh, I made a decision to surrender my life to Jesus Christ and received him into my life in simple trust and Jesus truly and deeply changed my life and I've never been the same and so as I talk about this I'm thinking about the time where Jesus healed the blind man and the Pharisees brought the blind man before them and they said well you know tell us if this guy's a Messiah or not he goes well I don't know Messiah or not he says one thing I do know once I was blind and now I see that's my testimony. God, once I was blind, now I see. God has changed my heart. He has given me a hope and a future through a man who is not just a man of history, but who has risen from the grave and who is reigning at the Father's right hand uh, and living in my heart. What a wonderful thing. You know, we need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, we also need the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. Uh, he is the Prince of Peace, the Almighty God. We were talking about that in Sunday school this morning. Uh, he is the one who can help us in life. He is the one who brings hope and a future. And guess what? One day he's coming again. And when he comes again, there will be no sorrow when he sets up that eternal kingdom. Uh, what a great hope that we have. Uh, This Christmas story that we're going to read about here in just a moment in Luke chapter 2 is about Mary and Joseph going in response to the call to be registered for a tax and then uh, the baby Jesus being born and the angels speaking to shepherds. I I can imagine what it must have been like. You're sitting there watching after your sheep in the middle of the night And all of a sudden, this bright light in this angel appears to you, and you're scared out to death, you know. We don't see that every day. And so, uh, they're they're, they're terrified. They're trembling. They're shaking. And the angel says, fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy. And he begins to explain the salvation that Jesus is going to bring and the difference that Jesus is going to make. And uh, the shepherds here, and they, he says, this will be a sign. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And so they, take, they go and they search for the child in Bethlehem. And they find him there, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And they begin to worship. What a great story. They found it exactly as the angels said. You, you know... We, we celebrate Christmas, but there's a celebration that goes on in heaven about what Jesus has done. And uh, every day, that celebration continues because his work has eternal consequences. So look with me at Luke chapter 2. The title of my message is Responding to the Christmas Story. So we need to respond with surrender and trust in Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 1. Of chapter 2. Those, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. 
The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flocks. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, or the Christ, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Responding to the Christmas story. How are we supposed to respond to the Christmas story? The first thing I want you to see is that we need to rejoice in God's love. We need to rejoice in God's love. If you look at verse 10, he says, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. Now, some people have said, well, all the people is talking about the Jewish people. And the promise is for the Jewish people, but he goes on in Luke 2 and he talks about that God is going to reach out to the nations. I want you to know that this is good news of great joy for all the people. doesn't matter what nationality you are. doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much uh, or what race you are. It does all of these things. It is for all of the people. Good news of great joy for God so loved the world this is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son for us to be the propitiation for our sins um, some of you have been married for some time and uh, the the love relationship and a marriage relationship grows over time doesn't it but as you have a deeper relationship with your spouse, you appreciate that relationship more. God the Father and God the Son in eternity past, and God the Holy Spirit as well, had a, had a relationship. They have a relationship. Three persons, one substance, one God. Uh, but there's a relationship there in the Trinity. 
Did you know that relationship was broken on the cross for you and me? For the first time in eternity past and (laughs) unto eternity future. God the Father and God the Son's relationship was broken. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was happening at that moment in time was God was placing the sin of the world upon his son. And Jesus was dying for my penalty and for your penalty. And he was experiencing alienation from God so that we could know him. This is the love of God. Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, prophesied that Jesus would suffer for our sin. But it also says this, that it was God's will, God's delight to crush him for us. I want to tell you something, that's a powerful love. I don't know anybody that I would give my son for. Christ not only, or God not only gave his son Jesus for our sin, but he delighted to do so. That is the love of God. Delight, rejoice in the love of God. Did you know the love of God is the reason you can know you're forgiven? Because God sent his son to take care of the problem of sin. The love of God is what gives you hope each day of your life. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Did you know there'd be no mercy without Jesus? Rejoice in the love of God. The love of God is what gives us a hope in the future. I love that scripture in Isaiah. God has been prophesying judgment for the people of Israel. And he says to them, at this point he says, I know the plans I have for you. I'm not done with you. Plans to give you hope in the future. And God was going to restore the Jewish people. But you know, that's what God does with us. He restores us. He gives us a hope in the future. He forgives us. He restores the years the locust has eaten. I love that, that scripture. They were broken by their sin. They were guilty. They were judged by God. And he says, but look, he says, I've got a hope. I've got a future for you. I'm going to restore the years the locust has eaten. Have you ever felt that way in your life? Like there's just years of your life that you're just filled with regret. Can I tell you something? Jesus can restore it, and he does restore it for those who are his children. That's the love of God. Rejoice in it. Rejoice. When you see a a manger scene or you read the Christmas story and you, you see Jesus being placed in the manger in your mind's eyes, know that this is God's gift for you. Paul called it God's unspeakable gift. God loves you. Rejoice. What does it mean to rejoice? To take joy in it. To delight in it. Praise him. Thank him for the great work of love that he has done for us. Praise him every day that you live. If you're a child of God, you have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So rejoice in God's love. That's the first way we respond to the Christmas story. Secondly, receive God's salvation. Receive God's salvation. If you look at verse 11, he says, Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord, the Christ, 
the anointed one who was promised. But he is a savior. Receive God's salvation. Jesus came to save. You say to save from what? To save from sin. The penalty of sin, the power of sin, even the course of life that is set through our sin. You, did, did you know that God takes people out of their brokenness and gives them a new start, a second, third, fourth, fifth chance? Because that's who he is. Zachariah, I'm sorry, Zacchaeus, everybody had given up on him. He was not only a tax collector, which the Jews despised, but he was a chief tax collector. He was a, a boss of the tax collector. So you talk about crooked. He's doubly crooked. He was viewed as a traitor and a turncoat and a sinner, and nobody had any use for him. But he'd heard about this man called Jesus who was going to be coming by. And Zacchaeus was kind of short, so he climbs up in a tree so he can see above the crowd. He just wants to see this man that he's been hearing so much about. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. You see, Jesus came to save sinners. Paul said this, he said, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Have you ever felt that way in your life? I'm a chief of sinners. Can I tell you, Jesus came to save from sin. I love what the scripture says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All. Past, yes. Present, yes. Future, yes. All sin. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Jesus came to save us from sin. Jesus came to save us from an alienation from God. Did you know that God is not neutral towards sin? He hates it. He despises it. Have you ever watched a news program and you saw something, maybe a report about something that was done to a child or something that was done in, in you know, a genocide overseas or something like that, and maybe anger began to well up in your heart and you begin to just be frustrated? Um, can you imagine how God, who is a holy, pure, spotless, righteous God without sin, responds to the wickedness in this world? He's not neutral toward it. He hates it with a, with a, with a hatred that is very intense. But you see, that's why Jesus came. Because there would be no way for us to have a relationship with God because the Bible says all of us have sinned. So, Jesus came to make a way for us to take care of the sin problem so that we could be reconciled to God and have a relationship with Him. He saved us from this alienation from God. You've got to receive that salvation. Jesus died for sin once for all, was buried and was raised. And the Bible says that we need to respond to this in faith. We express this faith in a couple of ways. Faith is simply trust in God, but trust in Jesus Christ in the sense that we choose to turn from our sin in our own way to follow him. That's a step of faith, isn't it? Uh, but it's also a choice to receive him into our lives. The Bible says, to as many as received him, to them gave he the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So Jesus 
has made a way for us to receive salvation, but we must receive it. So respond to the Christmas story. No better way you could respond than to receive the salvation that Jesus has purchased for you. Every other religion in the world says do. Christianity says done. Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live in our place, died the death we deserved in our place so that we could be accepted as God's children. Did you know, this is true of me, it's true of every child of God, Christ has taken off my filthy rags of sin and he has put on my shoulders the beautiful white shining robe of his perfect spotless righteousness so that I can come into his presence. That's the salvation that Jesus supplies. Receive God's salvation. So responding to the Christmas story, how do you do it? Rejoice in God's love, receive God's salvation. Thirdly, recognize God's sign. Recognize God's sign. Verse 12, he says, this will be the sign for you. Now, he's going to give them a specific sign that they can recognize the specific baby. Because, let's face it, there's not a lot of babies in mangers. And so, uh, this specific sign was given to help them identify Jesus. Who was this the angels were talking about? It's this particular baby. So that was a sign for them, but it was also a sign where they were finding him. If you look at verse 11, today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you. How is this a sign? The city of David was Bethlehem. And in the Old Testament scripture, he says, you Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are the least, there will come from you a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. God predicted the city in which the Messiah would be born. This was to be a sign. I've heard people sometimes say, well, Jesus just tried to fulfill the, the prophecies of the Old Testament. Well, how do you do that with where you're born? You, you, there's no way to do that. Uh, and so Jesus fulfilled the sign. But then it says also in the city of David, and this kind of, any Jewish person would have recognized this illusion because David was promised that there would come from his line a Savior, a Messiah. And every hope of every Jewish heart was that this Messiah would come, this descendant of David. And so this sign that it was in the city of David. Guess what? They were all going to their home cities to be registered to tax. So those that were in that city were of the, city, of the lineage of David. And by the way, Joseph was of the lineage of David, even though he wasn't the physical father of Jesus. I believe there was a virgin birth, a supernatural miracle of God by which Mary became pregnant without a physical relationship with a man. But... Um, Joseph was a descendant of David, and the reason this is important is because he adopted Jesus, which would make Jesus legally a descendant of David and of the kingly line, but not physically. You say, well, why does that matter that it's not physically? Because God told Jehoiakim that no, what, nobody from his line would ever be on the throne of Israel again because of his sin. Guess what? Jesus was not a physical descendant of Jehoiakim. But he was the legal descendant of Jehoiakim's line. So 
he was able to be a king and yet fulfill both prophecies of the line of David and the statement to Jehoiakim. But that's not the, old, the end of it. Luke gives us the account of Mary's genealogy through her father, Heli. Heli was uh, the father of Mary, and he was also of the line of Judah. He was of the line of Judah. So you see, Joseph came from the line of Judah and from the line of David through Solomon. Mary came through the line of David and from the line of Judah through Nathan, King David's son Nathan. Chronicles tells us about that. So, uh, both legally through Joseph and physically through Mary, Jesus was of the lineage of David. This is a sign that prophecy is being fulfilled. Of course, you also have the sign of the angels in heaven who are telling you about this baby. That would be a pretty significant sign too, wouldn't it? You know, you're, you're, you're standing out there minding your own business and all of a sudden there's a brilliant light and there's a heavenly messenger who's giving you information about this child. That would cause you to stand up and think. But then you see, as a Jewish person, you see these prophecies that you've heard about all your life. They're being fulfilled. What an amazing sign. Who is this child? He's the child of prophecy. Scripture we looked at this morning in, in my Sunday school class. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. So recognize God's sign. By the way, there's, there's many, many prophecies of the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus in his first coming. Some yet to be fulfilled in his second coming. Uh, but just taking a few of those, the, the likelihood of those being fulfilled in one historical human being is next to nothing. I mean, it is so great the odds that these things would not be fulfilled in one individual. And they have been fulfilled in Jesus recognize the sign um, so responding to the Christmas story how do you respond Re rejoice in God's love receive God's salvation recognize God's sign and finally rest in God's peace so the angels all of a sudden you know there's one angel then all of a sudden there's a heavenly host the armies of heaven uh, you know the curtain is rolled back for the shepherds and they see the armies the hosts of heaven all of the angelic hosts Worshiping God. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Uh, this peace on earth. Uh, you, my translation says peace on earth to people he favors. You can, you can uh, translate this, the peace of goodwill. The peace of goodwill. In other words, this favor is, is, is the fact that God in Jesus Christ makes it possible for there to be peace between man and God. 
You see, you and I, the Bible says, are God's enemies apart from Christ. It's not that you may look at yourself as God's enemy. If you don't know Christ, you may not be sitting there, well, I'm an enemy of God. But because of the bent of your heart, your bent, the bent of your heart is against the, the desires of God for your life. The bent of your heart is against God's purposes so that you're an enemy. There is a breach in the life of every person that doesn't know Christ between them and God and even an antagonism toward God. Um, Kids don't like to be told what to do, right? You tell, them, you tell them not to do something and you got a little toddler, what are they probably going to do? Going to go try to do the very thing you told them not to do. Um, there's something about us, and I guess it's part of our sin nature, that just doesn't want to respond to authority. Uh, that is especially the case between us and God. So Jesus Christ came so that we could be reconciled. I love what Romans 5 says. It says, uh, for if we have been reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So God reconciles us. He brings peace. That means that God is now, once I put my trust in Christ, is now for me. God is on my team. He's on my side. Isn't that a great thought? <laughs> um, Rest in God's peace. God is for you. God loves you. God has reconciled you to himself if you know Christ. If you don't know Christ, he is willing to do that this morning. But then God also gives us, through Jesus, gives us the peace of God. Jesus said uh, to the disciples, if I go away, I'll send the comforter to you. The comforter is the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on the church that was gathered there and uh, totally changed them. But the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Uh, Some others as well, but peace. There is a peace of God that passes understanding. I love what uh, Philippians says. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what happens? I'm anxious about something in my life. I take that to God in prayer. And as an act of the will, I mix in thanksgiving. That's not usually what we want to do when we're anxious, right? Just to have a thanks session with God. But you, as an act of your will, you mix some thanksgiving in there with that. Sometimes my conversation goes something like this. God, I've got a bad attitude. God, I'm upset about this, and I'm upset about this, and God, I'm worried about this, and I don't know how this is going to turn out. But I thank you that you're God. I thank you, Lord, that your arm is not too short to save. But God, I am pretty frustrated. Let me tell you a little bit more about this, you know. And so I go back and forth like that for a while. And somewhere along the, along the way in that process, there's a shift that takes place in my heart. And the anxiety is gone, and it's replaced with faith. 
and it's replaced with the peace of God. And I'll enter that time with the weight of the world on my shoulders and I'll exit that time with the peace that passes understanding. This is what Jesus brought to us. Peace on earth. It's not over yet. Jesus is coming back. And then he will be the prince of peace. He'll rule and the Bible teaches in the millennial kingdom there will be a peaceable kingdom and there'll be no war for a thousand years can you imagine that (laughs) it's hard to even wrap our minds around but Jesus came to bring peace I don't know about you but there are times I just need the peace of God renewed in my life rest in God's peace that's a great way to respond to the Christmas story take your burdens to him cast your cares upon him for he cares for you Responding to the Christmas story, how do you respond? Rejoice in God's love, receive God's salvation, recognize God's sign, and rest in God's peace. Can I tell you something? The the Christmas story is not meant to just be a for-your-information statement of history. It is to be a message that is a living message in your life that is intended to change who you are and to bring God's peace to your soul. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking into our lives, Lord, through the sending of your son. Thank you for his perfect, spotless life, his death in our place to take the justice that we deserved and to absorb the wrath of God against our sin upon himself. Thank you for those great words, Lord, it is finished. The price has been paid. And thank you for the resurrection. Father, I pray that this morning as we think about uh, Christmas, Lord, that we would respond to you and respond to this message from your word uh, by resting in your peace, uh, by receiving your salvation, and all of these things, God, and that you would be glorified in the process. Lord, you know what is in the hearts and and minds of your people right now. You know those that need to make a decision uh, to surrender their life to you, to follow you, uh, and to receive Jesus uh, into their lives, Lord, to um, be their companion and their guide. I pray that whoever needs to make that decision today, God, would you...